Topic of our Dhamma talk this late afternoon is Life is uncertain, death is certain. <laughs> the Buddha's advice on death. Now, death is clearly one of the major events that marks the life of all human beings without exception. And death is certainly surely not an easy thing to deal with. Now, the previous Satna Dhamma talk was on the observation and knowing the nature of one particular aspect of formations, namely the dissolution of formations. So, if you think of any kind of predominant phenomenon, any kind of predominant formation, there will be a beginning to it, there will be the occurrence part to it, and there will be the dissolution to it. Now, we can express this in slightly different terms, but in meaning it's the same. There is a birth or genesis to any object, then it will last for a while, so there's the occurrence part, and then we have the death of formations. Now, one way of approaching and familiarizing oneself is by way of mindfulness practice. And when quite naturally the ending, the death of Fertner formations um, is predominant, well, then we'll have to deal with it. We'll have to observe this really carefully. And when we observe the dissolution or the death of formations, not just five times, but let's say 500 times or even several thousands of times, then the fact that formations are ending is not really uh, that surprising anymore and maybe also loses some of its frightening quality. Now, the Buddha speaks of various aspects of life that are connected with dukkha, and death is one of them. The Buddha says when there is birth, then this will automatically lead on to a predetermined sequence. So, birth is typically then followed by aging, and Satna aging is Satna likely to be accompanied by sickness, falling ill, and Bhyadi in the Pali scriptural language. And it all ends in death. Marana in the Pali scriptural language. Now, each and every of these four major stations in the life of a human being are connected with dukkha, namely unsatisfactoriness. Now, However, there are ways of dealing with this. One can deal with these four major stations in life skillfully or maybe not all that certain skillfully.
when a retreatant naturally observes the ending or naturally the ending of formations become most predominant then he or she in carefully observing sooner or later might end up having reflections or images or sometimes even dreams related to death coming up in the mind. So it's common among the retreatants to report that certainly some image or other related to a funeral or the image of a skeleton, the image of a corpse, etc., comes up in the mind. Well, this is really no surprise. If you think about it, when observing the ending of formations, then, as we've seen, this is nothing other than seeing the death of formations. By way of associative thinking, then, uh, the mind also you know, touches on uh, aspects related to the physical death of one existence, the ending of certain, uh, an existence. Now, the Visarimaga in its eighth chapter describes eight ways of meditating on death. And those sadhana come under the heading of contemplation of death, marana, nusati, in the Pali scriptural language. Now, one way of doing this is To meditate on death as having the appearance of a murderer, namely because death comes and takes away life. We have life that we're holding on to and then sooner or later that life gets taken away. Now, a second way of contemplating on death is certainly to reflect that even most powerful beings such as Emperor Ashoka, who ruled over a huge empire, even he had to pass away, had to cross over and that meant the ruin of his political success. So we can meditate then on death as the ruin of our success. We're successful in life in one way or another, and death then sets an end to that. Sometimes, when one realizes that a particular type of fate or a particular type of life experience is the, the common lot, so um, that is what we all experience as certain human beings, then it's easier to accept, easier to make peace with. So let's say when death is 
approaching. One might then reflect, reflect and reflect by way of comparison that even those of great fame in the end had to pass away. Even those of great merit had to face certain this particular condition of death. Even those of the greatest physical strength had were subdued by death. The same goes for those who had possessed great supernormal powers or those of great understanding and was the Buddha an exception to this? Not at all. He was just another human being, an extraordinary human being, of course, but in the end his lifespan, just like for everyone else, came to an end. So by way of comparison, one might certainly then make peace with um, a death. An unusual way of reflection that the Visuddhi monk proposes is uh, one is sharing the body with others. So when death has occurred, one shares the body with whom? What's that? The earth, there you go. And more specifically? Maggots, worms, there you go. That's it. And so, in the end, this body of ours consists of just the four primary elements. And these four primary elements are not different from the earth around us. And then, when the corpse gets laid to rest in the soil, in, in the soil, then uh, basically one is sharing uh, the corpse with other uh, living beings. We may have enjoyed a life of many years, or if not decades, of physical strength and great mental power. Yet, when death approaches, all of this is likely to change. And increasingly, one finds oneself having to face a condition that certainly is referred to as frailty or vulnerability. So things that earlier on were easy to do now are not easy to do anymore. It has been pointed out that death is something that is signless. Now, this with certainness particular meaning to it. Death is signless in the sense that at the time of birth, our span of life is not marked. It's not marked, it's, uh, there's no, no statement somewhere <laughs> that says you are going to live for you know, who knows, 78 certain years. Now, likewise, there is no sign 
that tells us how we will die or with what kind of an illness we will pass away. Nor the time of death will not be marked out in any way. Nor will it be obvious or nor will there be a sign as to where the corpse will be laid to rest. And there's also no sign of, at least for the most part, where one is going to be reborn. So no sign uh, with regard to one's destiny, whether one is going to be reborn uh, in, a, uh, in, a, in the human realm or heavenly realm or in a state of loss. Just like birth marks the beginning of a, an existence, so too death marks its end. The end of life. Now, from a Buddhist Abhidhamma perspective, death takes just a moment, namely just a moment of consciousness. The time it takes for a moment of consciousness to arise and pass away. And there's this so-called Chuti Chaita death consciousness which will arise and pass away and with its passing death has occurred. Now some general reflections are there about the certainty of death as Sutton proposed by Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi based on the text. Namely, this is somewhat certainly similar to what was mentioned earlier on, uh, namely uh, contemplating on death by way of comparison with the famous and the strong and so on. So, living beings, human beings of the past, whether rich or powerful, famous or wise, they all had one destiny in common, namely death. Another aspect that certainly could certainly be considered is that death is not an event that happens, let's say, 20 or 30 years down the road. But rather, especially when we meditate, we know that death occurs when it happens. It occurs all the time. <laughs> so death happens moment by moment. So as you have the arising of an object, you also have the death of that same object. So it is certain in this certain sense, death occurs all the time on a microscopic level and we are gradually, as time passes, we are gradually moving closer and closer to death. Now, another major area 
to consider about satna death is that satna there's certain things that we will have to leave behind now what would you say are those things possessions, possessions. what's that everything, everything. Family, that's it. Family, friends. So, and we still have to leave something behind. Thoughts, emotions. Huh? Thoughts, emotions. Thoughts, emotions, yes, certainly, <laughs> sure enough. Consciousness. Consciousness. Uh, well, consciousness will be passed on. Uh, we have to let go of uh, no, previous moments of consciousness, yes. And we also have to let go of the body itself. So, we have to give up our material wealth. We have to give up our property, our position, any kind of title or any kind of fame. Now, all those who are close to us, who've been close to us, such as a spouse or a partner, children, friends, all those, maybe even parents, we have to leave behind. We have to give up. There's just no way around it. And then anything connected to our human existence, so the material aspect of it, the feelings, perceptions, volitional formations, all of those, plus consciousness as it has certain past, all of this we have to let go of. The only thing that certain can be taken along comes in the form of What's that? Karma. There you go. Namely, the, and actually more correctly, vipaka, which are the results, the karmic results of our actions. Our actions at times may be wholesome, which then will produce wholesome results. At other times, our actions might be unwholesome, and satna thus will also produce unwholesome results results. So the Vipaka, this Satna will pass, be passed on to a future existence. Now, in the Arya Pariesana Sutta, the discourse, a discourse you know, from you know, the Majjhima Nikaya, discourse number 26, which translates as noble search. In this discourse, the the point that material possessions or objects of attachment are liable to dying is being is highlighted. And what, oh retreatants, would you say? is liable to dying. Sons and wife are liable to dying. Women slaves and men slaves, goats and sheep, cocks and swine, elephants and cows, horses and mares are liable to dying. These attachments are liable to dying. Being oneself Subject to death, one seeks what is also subject to dying. Now, when we are in the prime of our dead life, do we think about these sort of things? For the most part, not. We just are just focused on the present moment, on our youth, on our strength, our health, our 
beautiful uh, or appealing physical appearance and certain other things are not being considered. Dhammapada verse 174 which uh, is uh, was spoken by uh, the Buddha in connection with a young weaver's uh, uh, girl by the name of Pesakara that Satna Dhammapada verse uh, very much summarizes uh, some of the main aspects related to death. Namely, she says, My life is not lasting. My death is sure to come. My life will end in death. Inevitable is my death. My life is uncertain. My death is certain. The Venerable Pandita, being himself Fatna Burma, on occasion would certainly remark that if Fatna once, if one has lived, only if one has lived a good life, a wholesome life, will this result in a good death. So if one performs plenty of wholesome deeds, then death is likely to be, um, well, a wholesome form of death. Now, leading a good life includes preparing oneself for the end of life and preparing oneself already at starting from an early point onwards just accepting the very fact that death is part of human existence now You might remember from the previous Dhamma talk on Wednesday, namely the Dhamma talk on the dissolution of formations, that there are certain advantages, certain benefits that go along with this. One of those benefits is Satna given as constant diligence. So the contemplation of death usually causes diligence. The contemplation of the dissolution of formations contributes to constant diligence or constant application. And in this regard, please remember the quote from the fifth volume of the Samyutta Nikaya, namely section 440, namely the section on mm, what one should be doing if one's head or clothes are on fire. Now, The bhikkhu, then, the Buddha, then goes on to say one might look on equanimously at one's blazing clothes or head, paying no attention to them. But so long as one has not made 
the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths as they really are in order to make the breakthrough one should arouse extraordinary desire, one should arouse extraordinary effort, steer up zeal and enthusiasm, be unremitting and exercise mindfulness and clear comprehension. When one has spent decades living a family life, raising children, working to earn a living, and had not had an opportunity to practice, to go deep in the mindfulness satna meditation. And satna then, one turns 60, one turns 70, then, then one might sooner or later realize uh, that uh, life is coming to an end. And uh, if uh, there's a deep faith in the Dhamma, one uh, might uh, gradually, uh, or not just gradually, but uh, um, quite certainly strongly and urgently want to uh, get started in the practice. When one is growing older and one realizes there are actually not that many years satna left, then one will naturally become more serious about satna, the practice, and apply oneself wholeheartedly. The dissolution of formations, the observation of the dissolution of formations, as well as the contemplation of death, both of those bring about another benefit, namely that of conquering one's attachment to life. So that's pretty obvious. One keeps seeing formations in one's mindfulness practice. One keeps seeing formations as ending, ending, ending. Now then, does it make much sense to be strongly attached to those formations? It doesn't. And that's conquering one's attachment to life, then in the context of an approaching death, is what? Useful or not useful? It's very useful. Because what usually happens is that the mind wants to hold on to life as much as possible. And it's this very holding on, this grasping, that certainly then makes it so difficult to pass on. Now, as pointed out already in an earlier Dhamma talk, maybe two weeks or three weeks ago, the Dhamma talk on impermanence, we see at first formations arising, we see their occurrence and their change, and then we see their death. Now, later on, we are likely to experience formations as rapidly arising and rapidly passing away. 
No longer that one object has arisen, it's gone already. Now, as part of this exploration of the impermanence of formations, the mind Satna then naturally will incline towards an investigation of the ending or the death of formations. And so with that Satna then, the, the perception of the impermanence of formations becomes really obvious. And that certain perception of permanent impermanence then will help a person facing death, approaching death, to then accept it and to see it as part of existence. Now, we don't even have to go looking very far for advice on death. All it takes is to refer back to the Satipatthana Sutta and Satna there as part of Gaya Nupasana Satipatthana we have the contemplation of a corpse in decay. So that's part of Satna, the Satipatthana instructions. And the Buddha recommends that one contemplate on a corpse in or at various stages of Fatna decay, starting with a corpse Satna that is bloated, that is oozing, and Satna then then gradually decomposes, and Satna then further decomposes until only the bones are left. The bones then turn into white bones and eventually even those bones suddenly then break up. That certain kind of a contemplation of a corpse in decay might also help to realize what the destiny of our body is going to be. Now, the recollection of Fatna death might also be very helpful to help a person to become less identified to uh, any um, to one's being identified you know, to you know, the body identified with one's feelings one's perceptions and certainly then volitional formations and consciousness with courage facing and being mindful of death as it keeps occurring with ordinary physical and mental formations in the body and in the mind. With this, as well as other contemplations on a corpse certainly in various, or a corpse in decay, etc., with all of these, one then comes to, or at least learns to better deal with fear, possibly even conquer the fear of death. Now, 
as mentioned earlier on, death is certainly important because all the karmic results of our deeds will then determine the in which realm we take rebirth. So it will depend on our actions, whether they were wholesome, unwholesome, or indeterminate. Several stories are mentioned in the text of beings who performed well unwholesome deeds, but also some who performed wholesome deeds and then went or were reborn accordingly according to their deeds. But we might certainly not have the time to go into this right now. So death has certain, um, death is certainly something that concerns letting go. It's also you know, something that is certain to happen, but you know, we do not necessarily know exactly the signs of when death is going to occur. Uh, how it's going to occur because of which illness or circumstances we do not know where we will be uh, where the body body will be put to rest etc etc now it's also a matter of letting go of any form of attachment and then contemplation on death might further help when accompanying others when they are ill and dying. The important is to overcome one's own fears and attachment to a person who is dying. Important is further to accept one's own death as a natural and inevitable phenomenon. And as is the custom in traditional Buddhist countries to remind the dying person repeatedly of wholesome deeds performed during one's sudden lifetime so as to ensure that suddenly the mind is in a wholesome place when the moment of death occurs. When accompanying a dying person, one might reassure the dying person not to worry about family members that will be left behind. Worry is a mental state that often that is said to occur when approaching death. Another one would be fear. Another one would be greed or attachment. The person who is accompanying a dying, a dying, might then perform an act of generosity in the name of the dying person, and then share the merits with him or her. Or, as certain and oftentimes happens in traditional Buddhist certain countries, an object of faith will be placed on uh, or near the bedside of a sick or dying person as an object of contemplation. Monastics certain 
might certainly be invited to chant uh, verses of protection, and this certainly is meant to ensure that the mind of Fatna, the dying person, dwells in a wholesome state. Since certainly the prevalent mental state at certainly the time of dying is very important and, among other factors, uh, determines where a person will be, or in which realm a person will be reborn. Encouraging a dying person to practice mindfulness would be a wise certain thing to do, assuming that certain the dying person is already familiar with this certain practice. Now, in this certain regard, certain the Buddha states, as is recorded in the Samyutta Nikaya, its 21st Tatna collection, though the body may be sick, we should not let the mind be affected by the physical pain. As a person who is accompanying a dying, we might want to radiate loving kindness to him or her. And we want to make sure not to force our belief system onto the dying or the person facing death. Now, There are some special cases around sudden death that are worth exploring, and one of these is suicide. Now, it's something that certainly comes up on occasion, and actually. Uh, this uh, is certainly important to know the Buddha's uh, um, understanding in this regard. Now, what I will say is certainly based on explanations given by Peter Harvey in his book Introduction to Buddhist Ethics. To be very clear, for the monastic, committing suicide is an unwholesome, a clearly is a transgression of the highest order. The Vinayana states the following, whatever monk should praise the beauty of death is no longer in communion, namely, uh, is immediately to be expelled from the community of monastics. Now, when looking at a possible, one possible motivation for thoughts on suicide, Unpleasant experiences have been mentioned. So a great deal of pain as part of a certain, uh, let's say, disease. And then certainly then by some is seen as reason enough to commit suicide. Now, there are counter reflections on this. Namely, 
even if fitness certain unpleasant experiences are there, suffering, dukkha is there, then those certain phenomena will they will continue they will continue, but they might also be impermanent and come to an end. So especially when one has developed skills in mindfulness meditation. Now, what further helps is not to identify with any kind of unwholesome mental states. So not to take them personally, not to get entangled in them. Reflections on gamma might also help to drive some sense into the mind. So if one were to commit suicide, then from a karmic point of view, what will happen? What's that? Uh-huh. So, if one were to commit suicide, there will be karmic consequences. This is a clearly unwholesome deed, and uh, that there will be uh, karmic uh, retributions or um, uh, effects, unwholesome effects. So that certainly needs to be considered. So in the end, one is not doing oneself any favor. And it could well be, as Professor Peter Harvey has pointed out, that a suicide might lead on to something even more intolerable and painful in the present or in the future existence, so more intolerable than what is occurring in the present life. There is no guarantee that a suicide is really uh, bringing about certain, uh, any improvement. If one were to commit suicide out of craving for annihilation, the so-called vibhava tanha in the Pali scriptural language, then this certainly will go along with an unwholesome mental state and that will lead to yet another rebirth along with its certain problems. So if it happens, if one acts out of an unwholesome state, namely craving, then the repercussions will be there. So, in summary, as an attempted escape from the sufferings of life, suicide is, according to Buddhist principles, totally ineffective. It's not a solution. Now, the reason is, as dying in an agitated state of mind is seen as leading to a bad transition into the next life. Suicide is likely to lead to a bad rebirth in the next existence. Now, as we know that, as is the case for most of us, life contains many difficulties, many challenges, and it is in facing those challenges that actually spiritual development can take place. So to cut short one's lifespan means wasting an opportunity for spiritual development 
and will also deprive others of benefits. Now, if one were to contemplate that in a suicide, one um, sh- is one or it is worthy to also consider or important paramount to consider the impact on one's friends and relatives in terms of the brief the grief that one brings uh, onto one's friends and relatives so one is certain unnecessarily creating much suffering for them. So we look at at suicide from the point of view of the precepts, then in the case of the first precept, suicide is tantamount to a breaking of the first precept. Killing oneself is just and as much an act of killing, as Peter Harvey says, as killing another person. Then there is certainly this standard of judgment, namely, don't do to others what you would not like them to do to you. And as Satnet mentioned already earlier on, suicide would entail defeat. In other words, it's a parajika offense, an offense that, in the case of the monastics, will entail immediate expulsion from the monastic order. So one should not assist someone in suicide or incite or praise suicide in any uh, form. Now, this brings us more or less to near the end of our talk today on the topic of life is uncertain, death is certain, the Buddha's advice on death. And allow me to conclude by wishing that may the Buddha's certain advice on death May this advice help us to come to terms with death and prepared for it in proper ways and by leading a wholesome life. May this then ensure taking rebirth in a fortunate realm. And may the imminence of Fatna death motivate us to exert extraordinary, or to arouse extraordinary desire to practice and to exert extraordinary effort in our practice so that breakthrough to the state of peace, namely Nibbana, takes place within this very existence. And this is it for now. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.